Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the last chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Today we conclude our journey through this book. Joshua 24 is our passage today. We're kind of move through the entire chapter in just a moment. Here's the key concept today. Choose to be loyal to God for the long haul. Choose to be loyal to God. Life is a series of choices. Every day you make choices. As a matter of fact, you make so many choices so fast that a lot of times you're not even aware of them. They just happen. You're kind of moving through life. And when you're a child, your parents make the choices for you. They show you the way. But as you grow up, you take more and more choices on yourself and more and more responsibility for those choices. And after a while, the accumulation of those choices identifies who we truly are and what we truly love. Life is filled with choices. Luciano Pavarotti was a fantastic operatic tenor. When he was a boy, his father introduced him to music and he saw that he had an affinity for it. And so early in his life, he started paying to have Luciano have uh, voice lessons. And at the same time as he was having voice lessons, as he grew a little bit older, he enrolled in a school where he was learning to become a teacher. And when it came time to make a choice for a career pathway, young Luciano wavered. What what should he do? And he tells in his own story as he writes about a conversation that he had with his father. His father said to him, Luciano, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose. It's absolutely true. If we try not to make choices, that in itself is a choice. And today as we come to the farewell conversation between Joshua and the leaders of the nation, Joshua is encouraging them to make the right choice. He's about to step off the stage of leadership. He has had an epic career. He was there when the people left Egypt. He saw the plagues that took place in the land. He was a witness to the crossing of the Red Sea. Joshua assisted Moses on Mount Sinai when he got the Ten Commandments, and he was one of the spies at the first time that they landed on on the borders of the Promised Land, one of the spies that was sent in to scout out the property. Joshua endured 40 years in the wilderness, and he was the only one except one other of that generation who lived 
through the process. And then finally, he led the people into the land as they entered to take their inheritance. He oversaw the division of the properties to the tribes. He established the cities of refuge and the rudimentary form of government that was established in these early days. But now it's just about over for him. So he gathers the leaders of the, of the tribes together at a place called Shechem. And there he has his final meeting with them. Pick up the reading in verse 2 of chapter 24. And Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau. But Jacob and his sons went down into Egypt. We'll stop our reading there for a moment. Because we're going to see how God speaks through Joshua in first person. The history of the blessings that he has given his people. They're gathered at a place called Shechem. Shechem means saddle. And the reason it means that is it's named that is because it sits between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And and in the the, the way that it's shaped, it just seems like it's on the seat of a saddle of a horse in between these two mountains. But the significance of Shechem is not really the name. The significance of Shechem is the history of the place. And and Joshua has brought the people there to give them that sense of place. To cause them to ask that question, what happened here? Why are we here? You know, I know some people who who visit the battlefields of the Civil War. Now green fields of grass and meadows, but they go there and they smell the air and they touch the ground. And the sense of place reminds them what happened as they visit Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Antietam, Maryland, Richmond, Virginia. And they walk the grounds and they recall it was right here that brother fought against brother in our costliest war. Many of us have had that same sense of place as we stand in the banks of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, Jesus' headquarters in Galilee, or as we walk the Jordan River or the streets of Jerusalem and all of the history that we read about, all the the, the events that are in our New Testament comes to life. This is what happened here. The sense of place solidifies the history in our mind. And that's why Joshua has brought the people to Shechem. Because 700 years ago, what happened here was all important. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about it. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the place of God's promise to Abram, who will soon be called Abraham. This is the place of the very first altar to the one true God in the land. And as Joshua assembles the people there, he's making a point. God made promises hundreds of years ago to our father Abraham right in this place. And God has been true to his promises. Promises were made and promises have been kept And so Joshua brings the people here to remind them, but not only to remind them. 
He brings the people here so they will enter into a recommitment to uphold their side of the covenant that God made with Abraham. See, a covenant is a permanent commitment. When people get married, we talk about them entering into the covenant of marriage. In the Bible, covenants are agreements between God and his people. And the covenant says the promises of what God says, this is what I will do, and also outlines the expectation of this is what I expect in response. In that sense, a covenant is very much like a treaty. In human history, treaties usually come after wars where the defeated party will, will agree to the terms of peace in a treaty with the, the victorious party. But in the relationship between God and his people, this treaty is made not after a war, but in response to love. I love you and I've called you and I'm making this agreement, this treaty with you. And the reason I point that out using that language is because scholars look at Joshua chapter 24 and they recognize something. Something the people reading this for the first time would have recognized. And that is that Joshua 24 is laid out in the format, in the outline of an ancient treaty. That would be made between nations. The ancient treaty would have four sections. They're all here. The first section would be the historical section. This is what has happened. That's verses 1 through 13. The second section would be the stipulations. This is what you must do in response. That's verses 14 and 15. The third section would be the response, the, the statement of agreement. That's verses 16 through 18. And then an explanation of the consequences should you not keep your side of the treaty, verses 20 to 22. The format is exactly the same. The ancient readers would have picked it up immediately. Joshua is bringing us into a treaty with God. At the very place where the first covenant was stated, we are here to ratify that arrangement. And it begins by remembering what God has done, verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then he begins to quote, in a sense, first person, speak for God to the people. For this first 13 verses, that it's there, it's God speaking through Joshua, kind of giving his resume. This is what I have done for you over the years. You see, I'm going to be asking you, he's saying, to make a decision. I'm going to be asking you to make a choice. And it may look like there's, it's a complicated choice. It may seem to you that there's a lot of moving parts we have to consider. But in reality, this is a no-brainer. And the reason it's no-brainer is because of what I have done already. And so God speaks through Joshua and he says, I brought your father Abraham from his pagan home. I gave him children. I sent Moses and Aaron to you when you were enslaved in Egypt. I brought you up out of Egypt. I punished the Egyptians for their abuse of you. I fought for you as you traveled through the desert wilderness. And once in the land, he says, I sent the hornet ahead of you. That's interesting. Go to verse 12 when you read that statement. He says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. What we're reading there, interestingly enough, is an ancient figure of speech, an ancient idiom. I sent the hornet. It, it means I sent 
a sense of fear and dread. Have you ever been in a situation where a swarm of bees was moving your direction? Have you ever had that sensation when all of a sudden you didn't know where exactly where they were, but there they are swarming in your way? Nobody feels comfortable in that situation. Nobody's like, okay, great, bees, let's, let's, have, let's let them come on me. No, we all run from a swarm of bees. And that idiom grew up in, in, the, in the language. So it's that sense of, I put dread in the hearts of the people of the land so that they would fear you. And that's exactly what we've seen. Back in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, their hearts melted. They no longer had courage. And this was all of God's doing. I gave you this land. It's not because you're so good fighters. It's not because you're so wise in strategy. I did this. This is my resume. I thought to myself as I was reading that if God was to read the resume of his blessings to us, I wonder what he would say. Specifically, my question is, I wonder if what he would say are things that we would be taking for granted and not thinking of as from God. He might say, you know, I gave you your roof over your head last night. Did you have a warm bed to sleep in? I gave you that bed. Did you eat breakfast today? That's from me. And there's a little bit in our hearts that kind of pushes back to that. We say, well, hold on. I had to buy that house. I had to buy that pillow. And I bought that cornflakes. I distinctly remember it. And God would say, well, I gave you the money. It's on loan from me. Well, I work for a living. Well, I gave you the job. Well, I gave you the energy. Well, I opened the door to that opportunity. He'd say, you drive a car? I enabled you to drive that car. You wear clothes? You wear clothes that I gave you. Those are the little things. What about the big things? Those kids that you say are yours? They're from me. That spouse that you think you convinced to marry you? That's from her. She's from me. He's from me. All right? The hope that you have of a meaningful life while on this earth and glory to come, that's from me. All of this is from me. And when he says that, God's not bragging. All he's doing is stating the facts. You state them to them, we'll state them to us. These are the facts. And I want you to know the facts before you make the choice because you need to make a choice. And that's point number two. Choose to be loyal in the long term. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers, the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, household, we will serve the Lord. This is the heart of of the message, the heart of the farewell speech, if you will. You see, up until now, Joshua is saying, I have kind of been your spiritual parent. Up until now, I've been helping you make these choices, guiding you in these choices. But now it's time for you to choose. Make a choice. Who will you serve? In other words, I want you to think about what's in first place, what's ultimate in your life. You need to recognize that. Choose to serve the Lord. And this choice has some component parts. He's saying, first of all, choose in advance. I want you to choose now who you're going to serve later. So that you'll be faithful to that choice. And you'll have a foundation underneath you. What will you choose? Will you choose the way your forefathers did in Egypt? Worshipping the idols? 
It's an interesting insight because in Exodus we do not gain a clear insight explicitly that the children of Israel were engaging in worshiping the Egyptian gods. But what we learn here is to some degree, at least it was taking place. And that explains the question that Moses asks at the burning bush. You remember when he's on holy ground, he says, and Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? There's at least a level to which uh, Moses is saying, you know, they're not really sure who you are. They're not really grasping the, the, the identity. They're influenced by all kinds of other religious ideas. But even there, when the nation was wavering, God remembered he had made a choice, a covenant with Abraham, and he was going to keep his word. He chose them in advance. In the same way, Joshua is saying, take a stand today that will be lived out for the rest of your life. Choose now for later. And secondly, he says, choose personally. For me and my household will serve the Lord. I'm choosing for myself. No one can choose for me. No one can choose for you. You've got to make a choice yourself. And I'm choosing to influence those who are closest to me towards the things of the Lord, my household. We recognize that each of those family members need to make a choice themselves. They need to come to a place of their own belief. But Joshua knows that in his family, in his household, he has a place of leadership, and he wants to use his leadership. And I'm telling you, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, your leadership matters in your family. Deuteronomy 6 These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, make the teachings of the Lord ever present in the life of your family because we are always one generation away from extinction of the faith. You can't decree faith for your children, but you can influence them towards faith. You can model the faith. So that your children knows what it looks like to choose the Lord. Here's the thing. Never give in to the nonsense thinking that says, well, I'm not going to push them. When they're old enough, they'll choose the faith that's right for them. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is crazy talk. In so doing, you leave your child wide open to the attack of Satan. And he doesn't fight fair and he doesn't fight with respect. And you don't follow that ridiculous line of thinking with anything else in your child's life. You don't follow that line of thinking with the food you give them or the education that you cause to have in their life. You don't follow that line of thinking with their safety. I never, ever have heard a parent say, I'm going to leave it to my child to decide whether they will play in traffic or not. It's ridiculous thinking. You must guide them. You must influence them. You must protect. You must lead. You must show them the way. Because there's going to come a day when it comes down to their choice. Lead them well. Choose personally and influence your families. Thirdly, choose exclusively. Choose to be loyal exclusively to the Lord. Just like Pavarotti's father said, you can't sit between two chairs It's like choosing a spouse as you stand before the altar and you say, I am exclusively yours for life. God wants exclusive preeminence in your life. 
And it means tearing away everything that hinders that commitment. And here, at that point, the old warrior shows us that he is aware that they are already blowing it. They're already blowing it. He hears the right words. They're going to say, yes, yes, we'll follow. But he recognizes that hidden away in the secret places of their home, they have idols. They've held on to idols. Look at verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. With their mouth, they're saying, yes, yes, but their actions tell a different story. Joshua is saying, you need to clean out your closets because some of what's in the closet shows your betrayal. Even though these who are in the meeting, these who are the the leaders of the tribes, In the closets of their homes, in the secret places, they have idols. And some of those idols are Egyptian idols. This generation has never lived in Egypt. But they carry with them Egyptian idols. Why? Because the first generation took the idols. And the second generation kept the idols. And what was the reasoning beside keeping the idols? It was this, just in case, just in case, maybe things won't go well. Maybe I'll need a fallback position. Maybe I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit, just in case. And why would they take that position before the God who has been so faithful? Because they are missing the point completely, and I don't want you to miss it. They are fundamentally missing a point. They think that God is there to serve them. They think that God is here to make the crops come in, to make the crops come in on time, to make them come in with abundance, to make my life easier, to make my life prosperous. And if something should go wrong, if maybe God doesn't do that and all this doesn't pan out, just in case that happens, I got these idols in my closet. Maybe they'll pan out for me. That is totally backwards thinking. It's backwards then, it's backward now. Joshua is saying, choose who you will serve. He is the master, we are not. We serve him. Choose in advance, choose him personally, choose him exclusively, which means eliminating from your life the things that get in the way of God being first place. It's a change of mind, it's a change of direction, it's a change of heart. An idol is anything that moves God out of his rightful place. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing to achieve a wicked end. It could be a good thing. Sports, achievement, status, wealth, power, a nicer house and a nicer neighborhood. These kinds of things become what we're all about. And it always starts with the same mistake. It always starts with the idea that God serves me. He's there to make me happy, to make things go my way, so that my life is easy, so that I prosper. And as we follow that path, soon what we're worshiping is not the true God. It is an idol. 
And Joshua brings that before them. He says, clean out your closets. Let's make this real. And he writes out a statement of commitment. And he puts it there under the rock so that it will be remembered. Look at verse 27. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. Now what we're meant to understand is that there's a gap of time between verse 28 and 29. Because now the author reminds us, just ends the book by saying that there are three poignant burials that I want to tell you about. Sometime after this meeting, we're not sure exactly how long, Joshua passed away and was buried in the place of his inheritance. Joseph's bones that they have transported all the way from Egypt are buried right there where this meeting was in Shechem. And Eliezer, the son of the first high priest Aaron, is buried at Gibeah, which is a Levitical city. And so the book of Joshua kind of comes in for a landing there. But as we step away from this book, I want in your mind's eye for you to travel with me back to the day before they entered the land. The day before they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground in a miraculous work of God. Joshua 3 verse 5, it says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now we look back and we see the truth of that promise over the course of this of this book. Amazing things. God was true to his promise. But that promise is not just for them. It's for you as well. Your tomorrows can be filled with amazing things beyond your wildest dream when you are living the promised land life. And what is the promised land life? It is fully committed, fearlessly following God, serving him, putting him in the rightful place. And as we do that, we see God is faithful. He keeps his word. We are on a journey. And on the journey, we need to walk closely with the one that we serve. What we will find is blessing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are there to turn to. In the times when we seem that we're beyond our depth and over our head, the problems are mounting. We thank you, Lord, that you are always able and nothing surprises you. Forgive us for the times that we think it's better to go it alone. Forgive us for the moments when we push back against your direction. But Lord, remind us, we serve you, not vice versa. And we will know amazing things. We rejoice in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. Pastor Mark is absolutely right. We need to keep walking, but walk closely with our God. Jesus, keep me from the road.
just a moment I'm going to pray the benediction and we'll leave this place. But maybe you're here today and there is a need for prayer in your life. Some sort of concern or issue. We have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will wait for you. They will represent you to the throne of grace. They would love to introduce you to the Savior that they love. If that's what your need is, you slip forward and they'll wait for you there. But first, let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you walk with us, Lord Jesus, hand in hand. And as we face the issues of life, we pray for your strength, for your wisdom, and that you would be our guide. Dismiss us with your blessing. In the week ahead, we pray, Lord, that we're able to represent you well. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.